0: Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation podcast co-hosted by myself, Lenya Wilson, a Black woman, and Alexandra Ditalia, a white woman.
1: So how does race factor in? We've really come as a country to understand the conversation that every mother has to have with their Black son about safety and how to walk through the world, which is, to me, such a despairing, ugly fact of our society. So raising a Black woman, what are conversations that mothers need to have?
2: Oh yeah, I, I really, I love that you asked that question because I think about this, okay, she's grown up here in the west side of LA, which is a very white um, area, not diverse at all, really can be super elitist. It's annoying and I don't necessarily care for it. So the area I live in is I think maybe over 90% white. There are hardly any black people in here at all. And as beautiful as it is, it's oppressive. It's mentally uh, draining, you know? And moving here, like I really didn't realize what I was getting into, to be honest. I'm from New York and like like I told you, I lived in Montclair, which is and where I lived was mostly white but it was still kind of progressive and I didn't feel like I just didn't have that it's the the energy was different like the people are just different on the east coast like when it you know and even when it comes like even on long island or whatever like we have like issues with each other with race but it's not like people pretend like it doesn't exist at least that was my experience I never really felt like you know if I don't know like people from what I like remember experiencing, I just never felt like if I ever had or came across like in a white neighborhood, like, I don't know, like people just would, you just kind of get you what you see is what you get. Like yeah. here is like this thing where people pretend like they're progressive or they pretend like they're liberal, so to speak, but at the end of the day, you know they don't really want you here. Like, and you feel it. it's a thing. It's like, a, um, and not, not all, and I, I won't say, I won't make a blanketed statement, but I think that LA in particular, because, and I've learned about a lot of this through my, just even research about my own neighborhood, my own neighborhood. i live in the Pacific Palisades and there are a lot of beach communities here. And I ended up having to learn through just my own, you know, being here and trying to figure out why are there no people of color over here? And, you know, all these areas were redlined. They're, they're actually, you know, in, I'm sure even on, in my own house on the titles, like they, they have like covenants that said that you couldn't even, you couldn't even one, not only couldn't you sell to a black person, but you can't, you couldn't even have a black person visit your house unless they were your, your worker, like you're, you know, like a domestic worker or a chauffeur or whatever, which is, was like mind blowing. I was looking at Rancho or Palos Verdes Estates and I was read this article about it and it just was like, wow, that's crazy. And then I'm going into like way too much background and detail, but back to what you're, what you asked me about. So all of that said, I just gotten to the point where I just was getting tired of people being rude to me, you know? You know, cause me growing up, you know, like my family's from the South, no matter where I live, like I'm the person I'll come out and I speak to people. Like I grew up, I grew up learning, like, I don't care. Like if, we don't have to be friends when you come out of your house and your neighbor's next door, you say hello. You know what I mean? Like, and I just was like being here and like, wow, these people don't speak. Like they don't even acknowledge that you're there. And I'm like, that just blew my mind. It still kind of blows my mind. But, it, and what's really bad is I've gotten so jaded. Because I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I have to be honest. Like my neighbor across the street doesn't like, I may have t- spoken to her twice. And like when I'm, they really hurt my feelings. I'm just going to be honest. It hurt my feelings. I was just like, I don't understand why these people are not talking to me. Like, why are they not even acknowledging me? Like what's going on? Like, and then one time the there were, you know, our neighbors, Cassidy is like almost the same age as one of the girls. And when we first moved here, everything was great and they were friends. And then, I don't know, something just happened and just, she stopped being friends. And like, I would run into these girls like in different places and they would act like we weren't even there. They would look at us, like literally be there and like act like I wasn't there or act like they didn't see us. And I would just be like, what the hell? Like I'm still, you know, it's just so, such a, it's cultural, but I just can't, I can't, maybe it is just like, the maybe it's not a black thing. You know what I mean? I, but I can't help but think that there is a, a level of it. I mean, because there is a part of it that's like maybe what you said earlier, Alex, about, you know, like the, the like s- cultural constructs of like, say what you were saying about like the different ethnic races right. and, and that kind of thing. And, and so I wonder if some of it is not race. It's just like, oh, I'm better than you or whatever. But to right. me, still as a Black person, I'm, I'm internalizing it as what's different of like my skin tone, whatever. Right. But, um, saying all that to say, it just got to the point where I would go to the local grocery store. And because of the kind, you know, you know how I am. I'm like happy girl. I'm constantly smiling. I want to say hi to everybody. I'm like, when I walk through a, a place, gender, I've, I've always been this person where
1: I like-, oh, like no, you uh, talk to everybody. When we yeah. went to the Howard competition- <laughs> Do you remember we were in? D. Yeah. D. Oh yeah, and yeah. We're yeah. The Supreme Court, like visiting, and we're like standing outside. Like, who are we with? Who was else on that team? Oh, it was um, Eddie Katrina, Katrina, and, oh, and um, Katrina, and we're like, and we're, and we're standing outside, and Nicole's just talking to the person behind the counter. It's like fifteen minutes. I'm like, we're going argue- to be arguing. You're going to be arguing. Like in an hour, we got to go. And you're like, oh, yeah. and how's your family? And how's everything right. going? Yeah,
2: <laughs> but yeah. I've had to like, so yeah, so so being that and just being, I think that also has has something to do with like having family background that's southern too. Like that's just what we're how we're raised. We're raised to acknowledge people. And it's just it's also like a it's just like a respect thing. You know, it's just a thing. So. That has been culture shock to me. But saying all that to say, like being here and bringing it back to Cassidy, I remember like just having these feelings and all of these what we, you know, as we now have labeled them microaggressions. Like they're just constant microaggressions to the point where I'm just I just get tired of it. I'm just like, okay, well, you know what? Let me just change my mode of operation. If I'm going to go to to Gelson's, which is our one of our neighbor. You know, we have Ralphs and Gelson's. Yeah. Gelson's totally like the people that go to Gelson's are just a completely different it's so interesting. The 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 grocery stores are literally two blocks from each other but the the people that go to Gelson's are completely different than the the people in Ralph's whatever. So sometimes I need to go to Gelson's because there's things there that I need. And for those that don't know what Gelson's is it's a little more of a high end store grocery store. Not quite Whole Foods. No it's it's not not, but it's like gourmet and like you know there's no like yeah there's no automatic discount that you get for having some card or whatever like you're paying the full price of whatever it is that you're buying (laughs) so so anyway so we would go there and I remember going in the store because I just like I had learned at this point to stop making eye contact with people like I had learned at this point to be like you know what stop expecting people to be the way you are and stop trying to like you know be friendly and I know that's sounds crazy, but it just got to the point where I'm just like, I'm tired of being, having people be nasty to me or like, give me these dirty looks or like being like, why are you whatever? So I just stopped doing that. And I never really had that conversation with Cassidy at this point, but I remember being in the Gelson's and I remember being in the, in the produce section and Cassidy was with me and this lady was next to me and I didn't, I just like, wasn't paying her any attention. And I was collecting whatever I was collecting, we ended up going out the store. And I remember Cassidy saying to me, and she was 16 at the time. And she was just like, mom, did you see how that lady looked? Did you see how she was looking at you? Ah," All this stuff. And I was like, really? I said, no, I didn't. And I said, you know what, Cassidy, I'm going to tell you this right now. I said, I've just gotten to the point where I'm not giving anybody my energy. I'm just not going to do it. I said, because at the end of the day, if that's how people are going to act, like I'm, I gotten to the point where as far as like my interactions with white people in these spaces I've gotten to the point where I'm just like you know what I don't need your acceptance I don't need you to like feel like I think there was been a level of me feeling like I wanted to make people feel like I deserve to be here in your space and that's what I had to really like impose like I think that's what Cassidy has that I didn't have that had to impart on her like I don't have to explain how I got here. I don't have to explain to you why, you know, I can live in this neighborhood or why I'm in this grocery store because that's not my job. And I think that's the thing that I've definitely, you know, like taught her over my time is just that. And I think that this is a broader thing in my journey. And I think that now I'm hearing people say this, which is so interesting. Like I am tired of explaining. Yeah. What this is to you, and I said this to her too because a similar thing had happened when we went to this nail salon in Santa Monica. We walked in there, we were so happy, having a great day. Park our car, look on Yelp. Oh, this is a great nail salon. Walk in there, it's like the record scratches. We walk in there, it's like, "Ah!" like everyone gets quiet and they're staring at us. Mind you, like it was so uncomfortable. I was so freaking mad. I was just like, I was, I was furious because I was just like, this is outrageous. Like, you really are just going to act like this because brown people walk into the nail salon. And I just, I was so frustrated. And I said to her along the same lines, I'm just like, you know what? This is, it just dawned on me that racism is really, it's not my job to explain why to a white person, why I'm here or why why you should be treating me with respect. That's something you need to teach your own kids and your own selves. And you need to like have, you need, you need to do some research. You need to get to the point where you're understanding why things are the way they are. We already know this stuff. So if I'm going to go with you. So that's, I think, what I believe that why Cassidy has been able to be so empowered at this young age, not only from being at Spelman, but I think for me actually navigating these difficult waters as an adult and as a person that was a little more I've been a little, what do you call it? Like, like, you know, maybe green or naive. And I think that also has to do with me, like prior to becoming an attorney, I was a, an actress and a model. And I like, and I lived in New York. And so I just kind of had a little bit of a, I never really had to work in a nine to five, you know what I mean? Right. And on top of that, I was like, I look back on it. I, at the time, I didn't realize how good of a time I was having, but I think it was like a, <laughs> No, seriously, it was like a gift to be able to have different, you know, to, to be a, to what do you call it? A independent contractor. Cause I went from job to job and at the end of the day, if I'm the model or that the person like, you know, you get treated a different kind of way. So I, I never really understood these day-to-day interactions with, with white people or, you know, or white women in particular. Like I just never had those moments until like, dang, like I turned 40 and then I like, I'm actually had to grow up in a way that I never did as a younger person, which is really weird, but the good thing is I did it simultaneously with Cassidy. You know, it was almost like we were growing up together in a certain kind of way, because I was in law school when she was in high school. Right. And so, and I was doing, I was having the same kinds of issues that she was having, but as an adult in a, like with younger, I mean, you remember what I was dealing with, like like on both sides, I was, the president of BALSA and like having to deal with, oh my God, the most dramatic interactions with these younger black women that was like crazy. And then just having to deal with like, you know, some of the white um, law students that were like, just, you know, playing politics in classes and just, oh my God, it was just really crazy. But
1: Cassidy, what did you feel that you needed to know as a young Black woman that your mom passed on to you, like that sort of does differ than say, you know, if I had one of my closest friends has a daughter your age and she's, you know, white and blonde, and she's also a strong woman, a strong young woman, but obviously like a very different, a different experience growing up. I
3: definitely think and this is something that I had to grow into for sure. And I'm, I'm still growing into this, but I think my mom has definitely passed on to me or taught me to really just walk with confidence and to be unapologetic really. Cause I feel like growing up a lot of times I felt like, you know, like I said, like I felt inferior. So to really just feel like, no, I'm as worthy if not more. And I need to, own that and walk around in that confidence and not feel like I'm like my mom said, like I I have to explain myself to people as to who I am.
1: Obviously you went to a good high school. You know, we talk about good, like a good school. So did you experience even in sort of a good school where supposedly people would be educated and mindful? Like what kind of, did you experience microaggressions? Did you have that? Because I, I hate that you felt othered. Because it does sound like you just felt very othered through the experience.
3: I mean, even though it was a good school and it was a diverse school, my school was very segregated. Like at lunchtime, it was very much like Black and Hispanics in one section, Asians in one section, white people in one section. And then there was like a small section that was a little diverse. And I did have a diverse friend group. I had like, for like the first like few years I had, friend group of like four or five girls and two of them were black and then two of them left and then it was kind of just like me left with a bunch of white people for like (laughs) senior year and the rest of junior year so that was another like challenging like period to like kind of experience but like I, I will say like I kind of people I did experience a lot of microaggressions I think or people just not really understanding me as much just because of the kind of two worlds that I teetered like being from having a mixed family and then like being you know speaking a certain way like speaking white whatever that means you know always like as soon as code switching code switching but I never even felt like I code switched in the way I I speak you know I don't you know switch my talk depending on who I'm around really I I don't think so but I do think that it was just kind of a hard world to teeter because a lot of the black people really just saw me as very whitewashed and I did have a few black friends but a lot of them were like me and were more whitewashed and like were more into that world so and a lot of the white people like I, I did have a hard time I feel like with boys because I feel like I wasn't really liked I feel like a lot of the Some of them, I was liked by a few people, of course, but like I just felt like you know, like a lot of people that I liked didn't like me back, and it was just like a lot of just like feeling like I was on the outskirts, not feeling like I was that cute, and like, and just a lot of stuff. Looking back, that I just think is ridiculous now because it's like I look at people who I I maybe like envied or thought, oh, I want to look like them, I want to be like them, and like I'm just like I feel like I'm eons past them, not even to have ego or to be whatever, but I just feel like. I'm so much further
1: past them. And I probably was at the time, but I just didn't see it until I stepped out. Absolutely. So a lot of that though, like is somewhat youth for everybody because I feel like if anyone, although, I mean, I'm just so glad that you're having that experience of strength in college. I don't think I had that feeling until my forties, but I look at pictures of myself even from when I was 20 and I have a friend who jokes about this all the time. Like, had we have the confidence we have now, like I just would have run around <laughs> naked. Right. Like <laughs> at 20, I just would have been running around naked the whole time. Like I would have just, I look at those pictures. I was such a beautiful young woman, but I was so completely similarly. And I, I wanted blonde hair, but, or I wanted lighter brown hair. I certainly wanted a less ethnic looking face. Like I just wanted to not look so Italian. I wanted long legs and I would just spend all this energy not embracing me. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's come, you know, even though like, I definitely felt that I was empowered, but I still always like, well, I'm empowered in spite of these things rather than just empowered because of these traits. And that's been the switch that at least I've grown up in. So I feel like there is, we're talking about this through the lens of race. I think there's also a a more unique humanity perspective where we can all connect on this, where women and self-esteem and beauty is Mm -hmm. something we all, sort of suffer from because of, in essence, I'm going to point the finger at media as to what we find perfect. I mean, I remember looking at Vogue magazines in high school and just feeling ugly. And that just, there was just no other way around it. What would you, Cassidy, what would you... I don't want to get in, in like, what do you and your mom fight about? That's not the question. But where do you find a generation gap forming when it comes to issues around race where you're but mom, you just don't get it? Are you, is there anything? Oh, I have one. but I'll let her answer.
3: For sure. I'm trying to think of one in particular. There's one on, that's on the tip of my mind. Oh, I think one thing that my mom and I have definitely differed on, and I think it's because I've been in in, in a Black community in an HBCU for so long that I've just, like, really just adjusted to, like, appreciating this, but, like, we differ a lot in terms of, like, Black style, Black hair specifically. Like, she has a lot of disdain for, like, weave, and I mean, I've never had a weave or, like, extensions I, I think she doesn't really have a problem with bra- I, I love getting like long braids like i just had like some butt length like uh box braids and my parents don't they don't really like
1: how about like, your freshman year right that, is not, true. that you, is not I, true i don't have problems with the
3: braids. I, braids I guess but she doesn't like the weave or she doesn't like the dramatic edges that a lot of black girls do sometimes it's stuff like that like i feel like I don't know. I think that we have a disconnect on that because I've learned to appreciate that. Like I just love the just dramatic like style that like black woman. Or not. I wouldn't even call it dramatic, but we just love to like have the nails and have hair and have all this. And I I just like appreciate that so much. And like I feel like that's in my photography. Like I love just capturing that too because that's just such a pinnacle of like the black community and like black style and like I just I admire and it's like something I also never grew up around too because like I just love to have my hair pinned straight and it's like I I rarely ever want to have my hair straight anymore like if anything it'll be an afro or braids or something else so it's like just like kind of learning to like appreciate that style like even the way we dress like and I think this is also a conversation of like that can go into a whole nother thing but I feel like we like a lot of people like to over-sexualize black women I feel like and say oh we're we're very we show too much whatever the the case may be but I do think that it's it's over-sexualization of us because the same races will be dressing the same exact way but won't get the same I guess uh, classification of like the way they're dressed like and I feel like that is very much so even in high school, like, I feel like a lot, I know so many black girls would always get called to the office, oh, you're showing too much, you're doing this, when it would be white girls with booty cheeks out and booty shorts, boobs out, all of that, but because they didn't have, you know, our bodies are, like, of co- I feel like a lot of our bodies are kind of built different. Black women sometimes have a lot more butt and a lot more boobs, and if we're wearing the same type of clothing, it's just automatically, like, oh, you're over-sexualized, but someone else with maybe different a different figure won't get as much, you know, cracked on, crackdown on it because they don't look like us, and it's. I think it's just a whole, it's a whole, to- sorry, a whole topic that we can get into.
0: But
1: that's no. responsibility politics. Mm-hmm. That's well. Now we're going to have you on again for that, but I no, but I understand. Like moving to LA, and Nicole knows how much I am not happy here in the hot culture. But you know, I have boobs, and it kills me. Like being in LA, like I wear a tank top, and it looks. Like I'm trying to be sexy, but I'm just hot, and I want to wear a tank top and <laughs> and I have to be really careful like when I teach because if I want to like if I dress a certain way, I'm gonna look like I'm trying to be sexy, but somebody who is more has more of an androgynous figure, they can get away with that outfit and just look professional, and then somehow it doesn't look like I'm being professional, but it's the same friggin outfit and so, and I get it that I'm not even trying to express myself through culture or try to embrace myself. I don't have even that same issue. So I, and I have to say, like, I struggle with this and I have questions about it because Nicole knows that she was on moot court and I'm, I directed uh, moot court where I have to have a conversation where, what are you going to wear to court? for the moot court competition. And I do, I struggle and Nicole knows that I struggle with this conversation because I really want women to be like, wear what you want. It doesn't matter. But then I'm like, well, we're going to moot court. You're speaking for your client. You don't want any distractions. And so I, you know, and I always use myself as the example. Like I usually wear very big earrings. I wear a lot of statement jewelry, that all has to get removed, you know. And in essence, sometimes I do worry that I'm asking people to strip themselves of their culture mm-hmm. because I have had to sort of say, don't wear cat eye makeup or please no long nails. Or if you're wearing long nails, they can't be in a color.
2: No, or even the head wrap.
1: Yeah. Exactly, like you have to sort of although I don't know I like if, I think than. I would broaden on a head wrap depending on i what it looked like, so I might have you know so I might say, of course you can wear a head wrap, but maybe make it less colorful so you're not distracting from your voice mm. or your message because it has to be message first, you can't have judges like looking at your big earrings or looking at anything else, so as long as it's
0: God I can't wait for us to move away from this bullshit. Right. I really cannot wait
1: mm-hmm.
0: for this cuz honestly it's just bullshit. It's again men.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. What is what, what like, is respectable? What is
0: respectable because it distracts them. Why don't you like learn not to be distracted? Exactly.
1: exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's
0: it's like I can't wait for this to and and, in the, and this is can be cultural and this could be just women in general.
1: It's, just, it's well, like- it goes to men now, too. What I find interesting though is that I now have this same conversation with men, and you could it could be construed as racist, but I have to have a conversation with the men, too. Now, where I know skinny suits unless you can really rock it, but a lot of lawyers cannot rock a skinny suit. And <laughs> Nicole knows what I'm talking about, and then. <laughs> but it's really like, I really will put a picture of Ryan Gosling up there. And if like, if you don't have a body like this, do not wear a skinny suit. And, but also just, you can't wear like a purple shirt. Like you have to wear like a white or or light colored shirt. Mm -hmm. You can't wear a black tie. Like you have to look, I, I, you know, it is, it's like, you need to look like you're uh, white and from the eighties, like there's just no other (laughs) way, but it is sort of, even when the beige shoe became really popular, like the dark suit with the beige shoes became really like trendy. I really actually had to have a moment. Like, is that okay for court or not? Like, because is that distracting? But I had to go through this as an attorney, like wearing a red suit. I knew there were judges who hated red suits and on court day, I would not wear a red suit, I would wear a black suit. And it might be annoying, but here's the here's what I pose to my students. Mm-hmm. You're representing your client. This is not the time to do battle for yourself. Right. Like you have, you know, and so that's where, yes, respectability politics, we need more women on the bench and i also think everything it just changes like there would have been no tattoos no face piercings mm-hmm. 10 years ago but now somebody has their eyebrow or their nose pierced in court like no one's going to see it no one's going to care but there was a time 10 years ago where we would be asking students in moot court like you're going to take out the piercings to make your argument and i would never do that now because we're, it evolves but lenny i feel your pain I mean,
0: when it comes to respectability politics, one of the things that upsets me the most is talking like what you said, Cassidy, about how Black women have really embraced the differences of their texture of their hair and being able to change their their hairstyle to their mood almost and being able to embrace the way their bodies look and wear whatever they want. This is why like WAP was like so revolutionary with these women coming in not only just wearing what they want but talking about enjoying sex which is something that women are not supposed to do which is like something I just don't understand but anyway women (laughs) are not supposed to enjoy sex but you know as a as I guess as a 50 year old woman seeing guap I was like this is revolutionary. It's not revolutionary. This is revolutionary, but it's not revolutionary. And then all the backlash around it, around the the fact that there are two Black women talking, you know, like, it, it, it was just... I can't even put into words how angry I was, especially the white men who went for them on um, Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so disheartening so disheartening and then i don't know if you guys watched trevor noah but trevor noah yeah. on did you him. see when they did the the dulce had a country singer come on and sing uh wop as a country song to see whether that would be more acceptable quote unquote it's still not acceptable because the lyrics are still you know The lyrics are still very racy, but then it goes into respectability politics on a male-female. Before it was like, you know, I think a lot of white women had a problem with it because of uh, it being Black women embracing their bodies and embracing themselves. But then when you had it as a country song, then it becomes not just a respectable issue between Black and white. It becomes a respectable issue as women shouldn't be talking that way. Yeah, You know, so I, I have, I want to like, we want, we want to have a broader discussion on respectability politics and Cassie, I would love for you to come on and talk about this because as a photographer, you see this, you see this firsthand, but it is, it is something that really bothers me and what brought it out
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: It's something that I, you know, but it's been something going on for ages. Black women have always had this, there's always been this issue that the minute they step into their own and embrace themselves and step away from the white beauty norms, we get attacked by white women for the way we, you know present ourselves. So the long nails or, you know, the way we do our hair or the clothes, I mean, our body shapes are different. So obviously when we wear certain clothes, they look different and you know, it's, it, it is a problem. It's a real problem that needs to be addressed. I think, and that's part of the sisterhood issue. We won't be able to embrace and move forward if we can't begin to we can't begin to see the beauty in everything.
1: Absolutely. Well, that becomes like really important. Oh, can I say one thing though? I mean, yes. this might end up being because I want
2: when you asked Cassidy that question about yeah. what, how we differ, and I don't know, like because now I'm going to probably face some backlash from you guys, but I have to say something about this WAP thing because I actually have a different like opinion about it as it pertains to Black women. So here's my thing. And Cassie and I have got, like, went
1: to- So wait a minute. It. Let's actually just, I know what it is, but for our listeners, Nicole, tell people what it is. <laughs> well, WAP It's like is... we've been talking about it as if everybody knows, Every... and I'm not sure everybody knows. Everybody my dad is knows. listening. He is out here. Okay.
2: Yeah, your dad might not know. Okay. Well, WAP is the song by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, which
0: stands for Wet Ass Pussy. No, but the song is actually called Worship and Praise. Worship and praise, but WAP stands for wet-ass pussy. Yes.
2: Okay. I didn't know that part, but okay. So anywho, I, okay. So when the song came, when the video and song came out, I have to be honest, I was a little mortified. I was not loving it and I, it bothered me. And I think it had to do with, there's another whole conversation amongst Black men and women. I feel like, I have a huge problem with the oversexualization of black women. I really do. And I think that the problem I have with WAP is not that it exists cuz I think WAP in and of itself was a great song. It was fun. I think I don't think that it should be censored at all. My issue with it on the and I do agree that I don't I'm not okay with men feeling like women that it shouldn't exist or whatever. My perspective of it is that I think that hip hop in general, is um, really misogynistic, and I think that I had a huge problem with the fact that it was really designed for the the male gaze, and I really don't think it was empowering. I felt like it was like, let me like be a stripper for you and show you my ass and like like twerk and show everything I got because that's how I'm going to gain you know acceptance and like you know and that is my value. My value is this, and I didn't feel like it was about i i really didn't i mean to me, and I'm changing you know I have a, a lot of different thoughts about it, but i really initially felt like it was it just it just made me feel uncomfortable, it just made me feel like like whoa, well, like it was porn i th- I felt like it was porn for the mainstream, and I don't think that it was necessary for that to be like for all of us as women to you know I think it was adult it's adult content and I think growing up I don't know if you remember or if anybody Lenya or you Alex know I remember growing up there was this woman named Millie Jackson and she had these albums and my father would have them and I could not listen to it and she was like raunchy as hell and it was like this is not new shit this is like this is stuff we've been doing this forever like it's not new so and I but I just feel like and I mean. I would love to hear you guys chime in on this, but it just made me feel like, why is it that our young girls are like listening to this? Like, this is some kind of thing that like, oh, by the way, this is, aspire to this. This is what you should do when you grow up. When you get grown, like, please make sure that you can like, you have a a walk so that you can like, you can arrive in life. Cause guess what, this is what, this is, this is arriving. Everybody like, you know what I mean? Like I just felt like it's just like, okay, like I like sex. It's great. It's just like, but I just don't feel like I need to see that on like regular channels. I just think that there's a level of like, like, okay, it just to me bothered me in that way. It just Too happened. Much. Like, it okay, okay. That. I just want to say,
0: but do you see how young women are meant to feel shame around enjoying sex now? You you can't. There's a Madonna complex. You have mm-hmm. to either you either don't like it and you do it, or you like it and you're a slut. You understand what I'm saying? Like it's, it, There is no there's no middle ground. And what I felt WAP did was introduce us to the middle ground. This these are two women who are talking about their bodies in a glorious way and enjoying themselves and enjoying sex and telling you, letting you know. This is normal. This is okay. Because it is. I don't think it's yeah. I, I I do understand that the oversexualization of black bodies happens all the time. And you know, Cardi B talked about how when she wrote a couple of songs that were not like this, not you know, over overly right. overtly sexual, yeah. that they didn't sell. Mm-hmm. That when she's, you know, taught when she has songs like this, they sell. And I mean I'm sad for that because I love Cardi B. I actually usually have a, an entire playlist called the Essential Cardi B on my phone and I listen to it quite regularly and I'm starting to do that with Megan Thee Stallion as well. And and you know and Lizzo as well. Like you know there's these women that talk about their bodies and who they are and enjoying sex, enjoying life, being themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that yes it is probably a little bit raunchier than we could that we need as people, but it is moving us to a place as women where we can feel comfortable just, you know, being normal in that middle. You know what I mean? In that middle. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be overly sexual and we don't have to be Madonna's either. You can enjoy
3: sex. Cassidy, what do you think? I just think, I think it's good that we finally have a balance now. It's feeling like there's a balance because you know, as someone who listens to a lot of rap and hip hop music, hip-hop is misogynistic it's sexual it's mm-hmm. it's always had that underlying you know tone and every song all the top charting male artists are always mm-hmm. talking about some oh i'm gonna fuck this girl and i got these hoes and this that whatever and no one bats an eye when those songs you know are at the top but one song by two uh, major female artists like tops the charts and Everyone's, oh my God, this is obscene! But so, what's all the like the decades of obscene like hip hop music from men? Like, so is that just being ignored? Like, so I think it's finally good. Like, yes, of course, this is not like the pinnacle of what we should be aspiring to in a society. However, I do think it's important that okay, women finally have like we can listen to Megan and 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 just go off and like feel confident and you know we could be raunchy and do what we want because it's finally woman like leading that conversation and it's not through the male gaze. We can have a sexual, like you know, whatever song and we can finally relate to it because it's being talked about by Saweetie or Megan or whoever. And we can finally feel uplifted rather than spat down on and talked down on through all these other hip hop artists. So I like that these women are finally coming into like play and and having something to say, whether or not it's you know the most appropriate thing. I like that it's finally becoming something.
1: Well So I think I sort of believe, I think I'm in the middle road because I agree with Nicole. I I think in the sense that generally I think it isn't, it is not going to be good for women, all women in the end that we're still playing in the body and not in the mind Mm -hmm. yet. I think this is an important moment for black women in the sense of there is a uh, fuck you. Yes, we're sexual and we own it rather than you own it, whether it's the black male gaze or the white male gaze or the the white women's gaze, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so I do think that this is part of that reckoning. Just the way we're talking about this as if like this were the first celebration of sex for women. But of course, like Madonna, like the Madonna, you know, in the eighties and early nineties. And I just think back to her sex book and I would thinking, what would Madonna be doing now? If she were 30, you know, as a pop music star now with the, with music video.
0: She'd 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 be doing the duet with Megan Thee Stallion.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I think that's absolutely right. And the idea is she had the sex book. I forget when that came out. And I, there was a part of me that it was, I was like, this is just salacious. Mm -hmm. So this is like, you're trying to own, you're trying to empower yourself, but all, but nobody's getting it. So that goes back to like the Dave Chappelle show, right? Like Dave Chappelle was making all these jokes and he walked away from that show because he was like, I'm trying to have a reckoning and be like above this, Mm -hmm. but really white people are just seeing this. And I'm sort of White people are seeing this and they're laughing at this and they're not getting the satire. They're just being racists. And he walked away. And I feel like this kind of video plays in that double-edged sword that they're trying to be embracing. But again, what's really happening is like it is under the male gaze and not actually forwarding that conversation. Now, a decade from now, are we going to be able to be past that? this is a necessary step. But I, so I, in a sense, because I do think, of course, we should glory in our sexuality. We should feel um, all body positive. We should embrace all that. But anytime you're just, there's just too much violence against women to have this conversation and then not just talk about, and there's a corresponding violence against women that is not okay. And I'm not slut shaming. I'm just like, we need to, it's just more complicated because think about the microaggression for a second. The way we're having a conversation right now is that it is not the speaker's intent that matters. It is the impact on the listener. So if you feel offended, then this speech is offensive. So in the same way, that you have these two women on a, in a music video and their intent might be independence, celebration of my sexuality, but the effect on the listener is only to further oversexualize and demean women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just pointing out there's a slight hypocrisy and in interpretation that's mm-hmm. happening here that I think we at least need to acknowledge. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, so I feel like we have to have it. Like, so I'm like, oh, it's out there and I'm 50 and I'm getting uncomfortable with that because I also start to also feel every time I see like young people, like 18 year olds, like making out or a sex scene on 18 year olds, (laughs) I do feel like, okay, my pedophilia, like, why is this? I mean, it just gets creepy (laughs) over again. So I just, I think that's also just part of the journey of all this, but Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I agree with that. Totally. And I think that's the thing, like I've had to really like walk through that with myself and just think about like, you just put it so well, like, and I think that's really what my point was. It's just that I think that, yeah, it does for like, it does two things, but it is definitely about how you're perceiving it because really at the end of the day, when you look at it, like if there's, what the redeeming quality is like, I don't see it necessarily on its face. Right. Not there on its face. So I,
3: I feel like we're trust, you're, we're chastising the woman too much rather than the industry as a whole. I feel like in yes. order to yeah. like, some change, we have to break down the industry, not them too specifically, because they're just playing the game. They're getting their foot in the industry and, and playing the game. Like, whether or not it's maybe... The most responsible thing and the most responsible message you know that's up for debate but i feel like they are not the the problem and i feel like the industry as a whole is the problem so i mean until people can really get to like the and i feel like we're not going to get to that point because hip-hop and, and hip-hop culture is so prevalent right now and so popular i feel like that's not going to get break broken down anytime soon so at least in my the way i see it, at least women are finally getting their foot in the door and finally getting some say in this industry rather than just being on the back burner and being tossed around and like disrespected and we still are disrespected but I just like that okay at least we're disrespecting men in our songs too so (laughs) here
1: I agree
2: yeah no but I think that's what my point was I think that the thing that bothered me about it was more so that they're being used as tools and in an a overall oppressive, like just the music industry in general has been horrific to artists, like all, like especially Black artists. No, just like the manipulation and just like the mm-hmm. people being taken advantage of and they're not owning their own music and just having the ability to like make money off of their own intellectual property. And that's a whole nother topic. And I think that there's a really huge problem because the artists end up being pawns in a bigger system. And I think that's the thing that, that bothered me about it because, you know, when you look at the big frame of it, like back in the nineties, that hip hop was like really diverse and had a lot of great conversations. And like we had, Things that were uplifting. There was a mix of it, and now what do you see now? They're talking about popping mollies and like yeah. you know twerking. Like it's just. And what is that? That's it. That's a systematic thing, and so that's what I see it as. Like I don't see this. I see it as yes, they're making money and all that, but I feel like when you look at the at the menu, what's on the menu? There's not much on the menu, so it's like okay, so here we go. When you look at black female rappers. The only ones that are really making impacts are the ones that are twerking and talking about WAP and like whatever, like, and I, and that is a problem. So I do feel like I don't want to get rid of the Cardi B's and the Megan Stallions, but I want to see more things and more celebrations of like intellect and like other things that are hot. There are things that are hot that are not necessarily, I want to show my ass and breasts. Like, you know what I mean? And I just, what I think, and I know that sounds like old lady talk, but I've always felt like that. I feel like, and I, I mean, you know, I want to see us striving for more than just like a look, like there's more to us. That's, I think my, the, the crux of what I'm saying is like black women are so dynamic like just have so much to offer this world and if the first thing that pops in your head is cardi b and megan the stallion as to that's like the epitome of of empowerment that's what i have a problem with like there that's one one aspect of it and i definitely think it's very important but there's so much bigger than that like it's a bigger conversation of like and we i want to see more i just want to see more than just that i want to see you know more people other than Beyonce. What do we have A Beyonce and we have Met Cardi? Like what else are we, like, can I see something else? Like, I want to see something else, like more things, more representations of like how much bigger we are other than the sexuality part. And I think sexuality is super important, but it's not the most important thing other than, like it's an
0: aspect of, it's, it's one piece of a pie is what I'm saying. I totally get what you're saying. You're waiting for the female version of Kendrick Lamar, and it's yes. out there. I'm sure. Yes. So, but, without, <laughs> yes. but let's just be let's just be real. Without Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, that woman would not even see herself in being able to be anywhere. So it's really important that we do still lift Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion because that representation is showing that young girl that she can actually become a star. She may not, you know, it it will be different because she'll have probably be a lyrical poet because that's what, you know, that's what you're trying to say is that there's more to it. But let's also be honest: when people think of black woman representation on a general basis, they don't think of Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. That's right.
3: But I'm so. Cassidy. Cassidy.
0: No. Yes. Cassidy. What?
3: at least for me and my peers, no, I don't. There's not one person I know who's like, "Oh, uh, Megan Thee and Cardi B, they represent me. They're they are the epitome of my blackness." Like, because one, <laughs> those are fun time songs. Everybody knows that we listen to that. Oh, we're having fun dancing. Nobody's looking up to them. Nobody's like aspiring to be like them. At least out of all of, me and all of my friends, that they're, they're fun to listen to, and that's pretty much where it lies at. And I think it's important to have those women who are fun to listen to, because that's exactly. what it is. There's still people, there's still women out there, like there's no name. There's uh, Carrie Faux. There's a bunch of other women rappers and artists who are empowering. And I feel like that's up to you to kind of d- dive into that. And if you have that interest and you want to be empowered and you want to hear that kind of music, you have to, and uh, like, of course, it's unfortunate. Maybe they're not as big, but like, that's just the way the industry is set up. However, it's, there's not lack of representation in other in other areas, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of it, other people out there who are empowering and who aren't aren't using their sexuality to be up there. So it's really just up to the person to, f- to find that inspiration and to be inspired by those types of people, in my opinion.
2: But I think that there's another aspect of what you're saying. Like you're at Spelman, you're at the, you know, like you're at the top HBCU, like you're amongst a certain cross section of women that are not the average woman. And that's, I think my point is that And I do agree that it's it's a it is an industry issue, but that's my issue. Like it's like if, if I'm like some young girl in, you know, that doesn't really have access, that doesn't really have like, you know, maybe parents that are super like like that can provide that person or that young person with, you know, representation that's like to look at. Like if 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 all I do is open in order for me to see, you know, I'm looking at YouTube, I'm looking at Instagram, I'm looking at all the top you know, social media streams or whatever. And if all I'm seeing is that's, I guess that's what my issue is. Like, I felt like WAP was like, was not for children. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? I didn't really think that that was, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, and I think that the fact that it was so mainstream is kind of what bothered me about it. Like, I don't have a problem with Cardi. Like, I just don't have a problem with it in general. I just think that The way it's positioned as mainstream, it's positioned as something like kids are watching it. Like it's not like it's it was all encompassing. And it it bothers me sometimes when people like, oh, watch your kids. Oh, you're worried about what your kids are watching. A lot of kids don't have people watching stuff, especially now with this pandemic and all the stuff that all the inequalities that's showing. Let's take some responsibility. Let's like really stop being so insular about like, you know, what affects things things that we are doing as a society and as a as a community are impacting people on a level that like that we need to really like look at in a very sober and clear way and that's the thing for me it's like let's not act like this is not affecting people like in in a way that's negative sometimes that's all i'm saying or in a way that's very narrow and that somebody is not explaining it to them we live in such a like this is a This is an internet society, like everything is, the whole world is being conducted online. And I guess, I don't really know how to fix that, but I mean, I think that's the the problem because I feel like that is something that ends up being so like all encompassing that it becomes, that's the representation. So that's it.
3: (laughs) I do agree but it's just i feel like there's a lot of factors that make it hard to control because yeah i mean i just think it's difficult just with the way social media is set up and like how just it's too much access in my opinion right now to everything and it does worry me like for my siblings who like at least i grew up a little bit like playing outside and like <laughs> having some real <laughs> interaction i feel like especially with this pandemic and everything it's just like so internet focused and it's it honestly just scares me cuz like i think like the social dilemma that documentary was talking about, I don't know if you guys have seen it, Mm but talking about how like, we've gone from using the internet as a tool to like being dependent on it. And like, that's just something that I really like, that just like kind of resonates with me. Cause like, Mm -hmm. it's supposed, it was meant to be a tool, but it's really kind of decapitating us a little bit. I don't know if that's the word, but (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I think it's...
1: Well, it's becoming our social fabric rather than a tool. Yeah, Right. right. But I mean, do you feel like
0: there'll be a backlash once this pandemic is over? Everybody's gonna be so desperate to get out and see their friends and stuff that we will start living in real life and not online. I mean, it's just gonna be a long time. I mean, you know, but it's just, I feel like that there might be a backlash to, oh my God, I can see people again. And like, you know, hugging people and all of that's gonna become such a thing.
3: I feel like I've been hearing the opposite. Like I've been hearing like we're just going to kind of transition into a society of like really keeping our distance. Like the masks are going to like become like every day. Like we're going to start keeping our distance every day. And I feel like I really, like I'm not to be even negative, but I just think it's kind of going to go towards the realm of like we're in our little bubbles, like Wally or whatever. Like just,
1: (laughs) that's so sad. I hope that's not true. I mean, it'd be safer. I mean, No, we're going to have to figure out a new way to be safe. I hope there is a bit of a backlash, even just if, if we get rid of Trump, even just, even that will, I think, help and instill, like we don't have to be so attached to news or his whims in responsiveness. That's my hope that we sort of get back out there. But I just saw something in the New York Times, how while older people... I don't mean old people, but older people like us, like are gonna want to get out. And I think Cassidy, I'm including you too in this that we've experienced both worlds and we're gonna want to get outside. But when it's talking about children, they're actually saying that there might be like a generation of people who have agoraphobia who are actually afraid to go outside. So it'll be interesting to see how that how it changes. But This has been an amazing conversation. We're so grateful to you, Nicole and Cassidy, for coming on a Sunday and spending your morning with us. One day we'll be able to do this in person with wine or coffee. And I just really appreciate it. I hope you guys come on again, because I know we wanted to talk about beauty and beauty care and hair care and and things like that and how that might affect along racial lines. And so hopefully you come on again. I love you. All right, thank you so much. Go have a good day. Bye. Bye.